2: Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
3: Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21.
5: I it's a film study for uh we're going record we're recording on Friday, August sixteenth, kind of give a date stamp of where we're at. We're gonna look back at the offense tonight in the Pack in the Ravens Packers preseason week number two, where the Ravens continued their streak of winning preseason games. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. Not bad down here in Florida. Uh, we're joined tonight also by Cole Jackson from Russell Street Report and the Neutral Zone Infraction Podcast. Cole, how you doing?
6: Good, man. Thank you guys for having me on. It's always a pleasure to join this, uh, join this podcast and talk about some film.
7: Tell us a little bit about your background, Cole. You, you coach offensive line?
6: I, I did. I'm actually, uh, as you guys know, I have a newborn, uh, nine months, actually tomorrow morning will be nine months. Uh, so I'm taking the year off. I, I coach, uh, uh, I coached last year. I coached, uh, AAA football up in Canada and Ontario. So that's the 13, 14 Bantam group. Uh, actually fun note for, uh, my Maryland based, uh, listeners. We, I graduated my left tackle down to, uh, down to a prep school down in Haggersville, Maryland. So he's playing, I can't remember the name of the school, but he's down there uh, starting his grade nine season. Uh, he apparently in Canada, in the United States, some of the age differences uh, meant that he was supposed to be going into grade nine up here. But when he went down there, he was actually eligible to be in grade eight. So he, uh, he kind of went down and did uh, almost like a red shirt year before high school. So um super great uh super great program we have up here in ottawa uh we actually lost uh in the provincial finals to windsor last year uh, which is right near the michigan border so uh yeah that's my background and then when i was in high school played football uh left guard and defensive tackle
7: all right very good uh all right uh, josh how how do you want to start us off here what do we want to talk about first
5: um I mean, why don't we just jump into – we we talked at the first preseason game about uh, there being a struggle to get into the stadium and stuff. So here was another attempt at M&T Bank Stadium with a game with great weather. Uh, did the Ravens figure that out and yeah, get people much in faster,
7: much faster. getting through the lines. In fact, we showed up, and I could not believe how short the lines were the second time around. They had people who knew you had a lanyard, you just this, and that's, of course, all I care about. But But other people coming in with tickets on their phone – they couldn't have been having problems with it because they didn't have lines when we got there, and otherwise they would have. So that that problem appears to have been solved.
5: All right, well that's good news. That means we can just jump straight into the game. And uh, I guess it was the first two drives where Lamar Jackson was out there and most of the starters. So why don't we just start there? Yeah, I
7: mean, I, I, there's nothing nothing that I saw in those two drives other than the two penalties, the two the, the penalty on Sneed and the and the other penalty on Snead. Um, That were really suboptimal. They moved the ball effectively. They really did all the things that you want the Ravens offense to do that you expect the Ravens offense to do. Uh, They did it not with a bunch of Lamar running, but they had one electric Lamar run that certainly showed what they uh, what they're capable of. And uh, they scored six points. They should have scored 10. But still, they ran the ball effectively. They controlled the ball. Jermaine Illuminor dominated at left guard. We're going to talk a little bit about that. They added this wrinkle with having Patrick Ricard convert first downs that I really like on short yardage. Uh, just a, a lot of good things to to point to on those two drives.
5: All right. That, that's good Does Anything from those first two drives stand out to you, Cole, before I think we the big, really dig deep?
6: The big thing that stood out to me, uh, just not to repeat Ken, but one of the things that stood out was actually Nick Boyle's receptions. It's it, he's just such an underrated guy. He and it, it's not it's not really a mystery to Ravens fans for why he hasn't had a receiving touchdown in his career. And it's because he's always catching those you know six seven yarders, and uh, they're they're not necessarily you know, playmaker plays, but they move the ball, right? And this is, uh, from what we've seen of Lamar, I think it's going to be one of those death-by-a-thousand-cuts offenses. Like, it's going to be efficiently moving the ball, trying to get those chunk plays, and then picking up a big play when they need to. And that's exactly what we saw from uh, from the first drive if it wasn't brought back on a penalty. It was, uh, they kind of rallied off a couple four, five, six-yard plays, and then they hit the 17-yard reception to Sneed. And then Lamar takes off for the which should have been a touchdown. I thought that was a technically based on the based on the rule it was a penalty, but you know I'm still gonna say it's a little ticky tacky because it was such a highlight. But uh, no, I just I, I I see a real efficient offense forming, and it's good to see.
7: Yeah, but that block by the way remind me of Bolden's block on Weddle on the fourth and twenty nine play. It was right from the side. It wasn't from behind. And, I, I, you know, I'm glad that one didn't get called back. And this one did if I had to choose, obviously. But still, it's, uh, it's too bad. Well, all right. Well, let's, and, of uh, course, sorry, all,
5: all of this was done without Marquise Brown, who we still haven't seen take the field yet. Yeah, that's well, right. Oh, in, a, in a game.
7: He's been in practice. They held him out again this week. I think there's a pretty good chance he'll play in the dress rehearsal in week three. Otherwise, I think you probably hold him out till the regular season if you, if you don't see him next week.
6: Yeah, that's my expectation as well. I think we see him only maybe at drive next week, but it, it looks like they they're implementing a nice ramp up plan for him.
7: All right, so uh, let's let's talk about some other situations. Sorry, I'll, I'm just gonna move ahead here, Josh, if you don't mind. The, the Ravens' running back situation has been something that a lot of people are asking questions about. One of the cool things about those first two drives was the way they rotated in all four of those primary backs, plus Ricard, for that matter, Ingram, Dixon, Edwards, and Hill. All got snaps on those first two drives. Anyway, it, 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 the question for you, Cole, jump in whenever you feel me pausing or whatever. But, but uh, I, I did feel like there's a there's a real question of who they keep. I don't really see a likelihood that they're going to keep all five of those guys. I think they'll keep four. Based on what Ricard's done, I think he's he's just done too much in terms of varied things within Roman's offense for me not to believe that Roman wants to keep him. So then I think it it brings you down to three running backs. And unfortunately, I think the guy on the outside is Ken Dixon right now. And it's based mostly on the GM reasons and not the actual play reasons.
6: Yeah, I think Patrick Patrick Ricard has brought an interesting positional debate because he played so well as a a three-tech last week. But then this week, he makes all of his plays as a fullback. So you get stuck debating, well, is he going to fit under a running back? Is he going to fit under... Uh, defensive lineman when you're when you're doing your numbers i think based on what i've seen from guys like dalen mack gerald willis i think not to jump into the defense too much but i i think he actually has a case as a three tech so i, I think i see a case where they keep five running backs if you count Ricard as a running back. But I'm really, when I'm doing my breakdown, I'm slotting him as a defensive lineman. So, I, me and Adam and uh, Chibs over uh, from the NCI podcast are doing a, a top fit, or 53 man uh, prediction. So, I, I have Hill, Ingram, Dixon, and Edwards on, as my four running backs. And I have Ricard as a defensive lineman, making it five running backs technically.
7: Okay, so who are you you dropping off on the defensive line so that Ricard can make it? Willis?
6: So Willis, I have, I I, I mean, I haven't seen anything too special other than one play that stood out to me was uh, he chased down that running back screen, uh, showing some blazing speed. But other than that, he's just not standing out the way I'd like to see against third stringers. And the, the tough one is what to do with the guy like Dalen Mack, who, again, we drafted. He has that draft status, but we, he's just not really standing out to me. So that's kind of where the, I currently have Dalen Mack. I, I actually have him as like a practice squad guy right now, and I know that sounds crazy based on the Ravens roster history, but that that's where I have him slotted based on performance. Okay. All
7: right. I, I, I can't, as a... As a conscientious GM, I couldn't try and run him to the practice squad. I could try and put him on IR, but I couldn't. Yeah,
6: I've I've been getting into debates on Twitter with our our Ravens flock about, you know, is this phantom IR thing real or is it just, you know, a guy did really get hurt and was supposed to miss some weeks, so they IR'd him. I could see it as kind of he, you know, he stubs his toe, getting breakfast in the morning, and he ends up on IR. I, I really could. He looks like that kind of candidate right now because. Uh, with Pearson Williams and their contract situations, and you know potentially cutting Williams for some savings next year, I think that's why they drafted Mac. Like he has that useful mm-hmm. kind of one tech three tech ability. So
7: it, it does. It makes all the sense in the world that for them to keep him somehow this year. Uh, it may may mean the same thing for Willis that you like to have the extra big body around, and they may not be wrong. But uh, but anyway. The good thing about the NFL, if you want to stash somebody on the IR, everybody's getting hurt every couple of weeks. So you can you can always make the case that way if you want to. And, you know, the IR now has that nice feature that you can bring somebody back at midseason, which unfortunately the Ravens may really have use for at cornerback this year. So uh, just to move on, I think we've made our points pretty clearly here. But Dixon, with zero years remaining of team control is the main reason I don't want to keep him. I think he is behind some of these other players. Edwards is not as talented a back as Dixon. I'd be the first to admit it. But Edwards has three cheap years remaining. And schematically, he's a complete yin and yang fit for what Jackson does. So it, it makes all the sense in the world to keep a big back. Edwards is a very cheap and pretty good big back. He's not a special guy. I really don't believe that. But he's he, you know, he's been a, a, a solid guy for a year, and he's cheap as hell. I don't know why you wouldn't keep him.
6: Yeah, it's hard not to look at the combination of mark ingram gus edwards and justice hill and not get memories of the three-headed monster Laron mclean willis McGahey, <laughs> and ray rice like just it,
7: exactly even th- thinking that
6: they're complementary skill sets like i i don't get me wrong gus edwards isn't you know a converted fullback but he's a hammer just the way mclean was and McGahey was kind of that do it all back the way ingram is and i would argue that hill is a little bit more of a guy that could kind of split, don't get me wrong you could split ray rice out and he can catch the ball we all know that but he's not necessarily a, a gadget player the way uh, hill reminds me of a darren sproles right now so mm-hmm. i mean Rice is similar to that i guess i'm i'm getting a little nitpicky here but it, it's it's the three-headed monster all over again and i love it
7: yeah yeah very exciting and, and i thought this exact same thing tonight within the last hour about that and uh and it definitely is very similar uh let's talk about the offensive line because the, the ravens Have a big battle at left guard, the biggest one in camp, probably positionally, unless you want to look at the outside linebacker spot, which also has a terrific battle going on. But at left guard, I have never seen a situation where five guys are competing at one time for starting spot. And we do not have a a majority likelihood at this point, in my opinion. I think we have some pluralities, maybe maybe a couple guys who are around 35 percent to win the job. But I don't think anybody's as high as 50 right now.
6: Yeah. It's making doing this whole roster prediction thing difficult because take this week, for example, I had, uh, before, before yesterday's game, I had Jermaine Illuminor off the team. Like I, I just didn't see a purpose. I had, you know, we'll have Sanat as our, as our kind of our, our tackle. And then I don't see him as a left guard, but then he has that performance last night. And it's like, all right, kid, you're back in, you're probably starting now. It just, uh, I mean, this is how preseason goes, right? Like you, It's you ride the ebbs and the flows. And I think I think this really raises a a good point, Ken. Like it's so important to seize your opportunities.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Illuminor, even the clock is running out on him as a third year player. We should be thinking about him the same way we think about Tyus Bowser or Tim Williams, who everybody is, you know, seems ready to cut, particularly Bowser for for without really thinking about it. In in Illuminor's case, um, he just had his best game as a Raven by far as I scored it uh last night and i want to go through really quickly but he had 57 scored snaps 55 blocks missed only two the whole night no negative events of any sort no penetration no no pass rush events of any sort no penalties so that scored out to be a 0.96 i don't usually give an adjustment in the preseason because the level of opponent quality is typically very low unless a player has a lot of highlights illuminor had five out of five successful pulls in 20 snaps at left guard So what that told me, and that was definitely true with the others as well, is that they were really trying to run scheme that would test his mobility and the other's mobility as it's as if it's a deciding factor in who gets that left guard role. So five out of 20, that's a lot. But 19 total among the four of them attempts to pull in a 50. Well, it was 57 total snaps that Illuminar played, but only 37 for the other three.
6: Right. And with Illuminor, the big thing I noticed uh, going from last week to this week is he honestly just looked more willing to to find a guy to block. There were too many snaps last week where, you know, if they're going zone left, for example, he would you know, he's not looking for work in level two. If he if he doesn't have someone right right on his hat making that left step, he would just kind of you know, run with the play and you'd kind of see the highlight at the end where they're showing the, the scuffle and there's a luminor running away from him and no one's around him. So that was one of the things that kept getting to me when I was rewatching the film, but then when watching this week, the thing that stood out is he looked, you know, like he was participating it's mm-hmm. as silly as that sounds. He just looked more engaged and, uh, there, there's still some things I think he needs to work on. I think going from offensive tackle to offensive guard, uh, he, he's playing he's playing pretty high, and I think that's uh, and that's mostly off his first step. So I, I think we'd like to see him, you know, kind of roll his hips, stay low, and that's just a transition from tackle to guard. Uh, right. And we saw it in his pulls too. Even though he was making the block, I still think he could roll those hips, stay low once he gets to his engage point. So. There's still some things that he needs to clean up, but overall, like the, the difference in from game one to game two was, you know, astronomical, completely different looking player.
7: Yeah, not, night and day. And and one of the things from game one that we talked about last week with our with Coach Evans was talking about how I, I had really thought that he's playing more like a tackle at guard or was last week, which he did. I think he did a better job of this year, this week in his 20 snaps is he was playing at arm's length. So he wants to, as a tackle, you do much more pass blocking and you you do much more arms length blocking where you want to use your punch and you want to do the other things where you hold your opponent at bay. And and he just has a, has a general tendency to want to pinball an opponent with his arms rather than engage him with the body like powers does. Powers is a get to the body, lean on the body guy. And we have not seen that from Illuminor until last night where I thought I saw more. Now, Five out of twenty times he pulled, so a lot of those are going to be arms-length maneuvers at the end anyway. You can you can crunch into someone, but you can also be, do a very effective pull if you can just get a hand on a on a linebacker when you outweigh him by seventy-five pounds.
6: Well, he had this one play, and it was it was on a pull. It would have been one of the five, and I don't have the exact time snippet, but he he pulled into the into the the B gap perfectly, and he kind of saw the man breaking off of Skura, and rather than continue into level two and let that guy you know make a play on on the ankles of the running back he he shifts back in and shows a nice cut just to seal the guy I I don't know if you noted that play but that that was one thing that stood out to me and what that shows me is that he's building that awareness of where the ball is supposed to go and what needs to happen to get the ball there. And that's one thing I find when you're making that transition of making these pulls, you really have to develop that, that sense of awareness. And it's, it's, it's something it's hard to coach. Like you can go through so many scenarios, but it's really, you know, playing at at game speed and no, noticing these things. Like you're looking out of the corner of your eye, you're seeing a guy break off your center. Who's blocking down the line on that power, right? And you know, you need to see him if he's getting loose.
7: It's it's very much making a read. It's not not unlike what a quarterback has to do. Obviously, a quarterback has many more reads to make, but it's very much like making a read. And I call that the the, the second the second choice or the next best alternative. It, and it's just another form of looking for work when you pull. I mean, you pull, you get through that gap. The, there may not be an option directly in front of you that conserves most of your momentum. It may be a guy to your left, or maybe a guy to your right. It may be a help block is all you can all you can really do, but. Take what work you can, and you have. You need to kind of have a checklist of of what you're looking for first.
6: Absolutely, and I, I like take what work you can. You you got to find work when you're out there. I, I I always say to my guys, like you you can't have plays where you're not you're not hitting someone. It's obviously it can happen. There's exceptions, but there's always someone to hit, and there's always someone that if you're not gonna hit them, at least be going at them to, to, mm-hmm. to get that contact.
7: Yeah, or, or get them to move even sometimes. I mean, it can be that, that a, a left guard pulling through there is not going to be able to get hit the cornerback because he won't let him. But at least make him concede the ground you want him to concede. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on. We've talked enough about Illuminati. I, I want to talk about uh, Patrick McCarry here for a minute because he, he's gotten a lot of buzz in camp. And there's one main reason is he's doing most of the seven on seven snaps. And that means they trust his shotgun snaps to be kind of on the money. And that's a very, a very positive trait to have, obviously. He got a left guard and center trial in this game. It did not go as well as the other players. 37 plays, 31 blocks, 5 missed. He allowed one penetration that was quite bad, where he got shed immediately at the line of scrimmage. Actually shed and pushed to the ground um, at the line of scrimmage, and, and the uh, runner was taken down for a loss. It worked out to be 29 points, 0.78 per play. If he was playing all his time at guard, that would be a low C, but he didn't play all his time at guard. He had time at center as well. So it really is on that C minus D plus uh, border, which you know obviously is not a step forward in terms of what he's doing. It's not a complete fall off the cliff, but it's not, it's not a step forward in terms of what he's doing. Um, three out of six pulls was maybe the most disappointing number from my perspective, other than what I just said otherwise.
6: Yeah, Macari last week, uh well the, the plays that stood out for me were some of the traps that he ran. He was he was coming off quick, he had a quick first step and he was making great contact, staying low. Uh I, I didn't see that as much this week. It it just reminds me, like, he's an offensive tackle for the Cal Bears, right? Like he played left tackle, right tackle, and left guard, but he was primarily Cal's left tackle. So, you know, he's coming into camp and they're asking him to play center. I remember he tweeted out a picture that said new team new league new positions so he he's got a lot going through his head right now he's uh he's also got to add some to his anchor he's coming off that injury that he suffered in the third last game of his college season i think for him it, it's it, he's i think he's going to get overwhelmed quickly he looks like the kind of guy that you know may need a year on the practice squad but i could really see him becoming a factor the big thing I'd like to see him do is uh, is just be more more willing to, to get right into the face of a guy. Some of those trap blocks work well for his style because, you know, you're catching a guy off guard or you're sealing you're or you're blindsiding. But when he's kind of asked to go directly at the guy, it, he's having some problems. And that could be, again, the transition from being an offensive tackle to an offensive guard or center and playing on the interior where the guys are bigger, the guys are meaner. You know, you're getting... More contact on every play, so that's kind of my observations from a from a coaching evaluation standpoint.
7: Uh it's it's good stuff, and and I think Makari is a guy that not with impunity, there would be a risk of losing him, but uh, that they can try and slip by onto the practice squad and potentially still have him available.
6: Uh, it's really going to depend on his, on his games. I mean, if you take that game one tape and you're another team, given the O line depth across the league. Mm-hmm. I'm picking him up if I if especially a guy that can play some center like they're, not, they're it's hard to find nowadays. And uh, the fact that uh, one question I know you've been at camp has he played any offensive tackle at camp?
7: No, I haven't not noticed it. I was only there for the two Jaguars practices. He, dipped, okay. he didn't he didn't in either of those games. I think he's been exclusively at guard and center. And I don't think it would really make a lot of sense to have him on the outside even with the threes. I'm not sure it would make sense.
6: His arms are way too short from from my from what I've seen, and I think you can see that uh, in his pass sets. So uh, that's kind of why I think he didn't get a lot of love during the pre-draft uh, process as a as a tackle, because I know that's what he was hoping to play. But uh, I mean, he's uh, he's got a high ceiling. I, I really like his game, and I I think he looks like a really smart kid who's picking up a new position really quickly. So definitely a step back for him, but I think he's got all the all the potential in the world to, to really bounce back moving forward.
7: All right. I mean, the Ravens obviously really believe on him based on based on when they put him into this game. Cause you can talk about the depth chart and Harbaugh can manipulate that or not, or he can tell the PR department how to put together and make sure that the, no rookies get on top. But one thing that's, that's, that doesn't lie about your depth chart is when you enter the games. That's, that's really tells about what the coaches feel about you. And for Makari to get that third series and then get that very extended trial at two positions, they really believe they might have something. So, uh, I, you know, I'm so hopeful that I look back a few years ago, the, the Ravens had a UDFA center, Easton, Easton, I think it was Easton, right? Nick Easton, maybe. And he went on to play several years in the NFC. Primarily, I think he the, might have been traded to the 49ers for a conditional pick. It might or might not have worked there. But then he he spent some time in either Seattle or someplace else in the NFC, maybe Minnesota. And uh, it, it actually was a was a decent player for several years. They were able to trade him at the end of camp. And maybe that Makari is a guy they can trade if there's really that much interest in him, whether it's for a conditional pick or another surplus player. You know, a slot corner comes to mind, frankly, at this point that the Ravens might really have use for.
6: Yeah, another guy that could, and I know we're going to talk about him in a second, but another guy that could be that potential. We have a log jam at interior offensive line. You know, we're not keeping guys that can only play guard and center. You're probably going to keep one um, Maybe two. You're you might trade Bradley Bozeman if uh, if Macari stands out enough as a center. I think Bozeman at this point would have a little bit more trade value to get you a better return on maybe someone else's uh, depth slot corner that you may want to get back. Uh, But that's that's it's it's always hard to project these things or what other people's opinions are. But we were having that debate on Twitter about, you know, what do we do if we have Macari and Bozeman? They're both kind of guard centers. You want to keep a guy like Hurst for his versatility. You're not going to get rid of powers because he's a rookie and has looked good. So you have that log jam of kind of four guys for three spots. So I, that's another option. Again, if Macari can really stand out in the next two games is maybe you look at Bozeman as a potential trade candidate and you think he might have a little bit more trade value.
7: Yeah, I, I, I do think he'd have more trade value because he played 230 scored snaps last year, more than that, including penalties. So I think he's he's probably got more trade value along that line. People would be less sure of Makari. There's the four versus three option value years, so so you people could look at that. Uh, Bozeman's also a draft pick, so because of that, you get the fourth year really cheap for him, whereas Macari would be a UFA in year four. So it's really not that much of a difference in terms of future option value for the team. I guess I could see trading Bozeman. I also I don't see why the team is is locked down to Hurst with what Illuminor and Sanat have showed at tackle. So to me, Hurst is a fallback position at guard at this point. You have a guy who makes more money than all the other players, so you'd like to save a little cap if you could. Uh, there is actually a cap savings for cutting him this year, a small one. It's only about a million dollars, uh, and you could you could you know parcel him off to another team for. You know, maybe it's a seventh-round pick, but you have a more established player that somebody else may believe in more as a swing player than the Ravens do or be able to use more than the Ravens can, you know, a team with two good tackles and, and one guy who looks like a backup who could be good in a Luminor.
6: Yeah, that factors into it. I, I think when I look at Hurst, I'm thinking of – we know Harbaugh values in game experience, and I think he, they're going to look at Hurst heavily for that, even if it is as a bench player – just the fact that you know he's played so many games, so many snaps at different positions, they may value that higher than than some of the other guys that don't have that going for them, but in terms of performance this year and kind of projected upside moving forward, Hurst is definitely on the lower side compared to those other players. Like mm-hmm. he he is who he is at this point in his career. Right. He's not necessarily it's not a bad thing if he if he comes out week 1 as our starting left guard. I'm not going to necessarily be that upset because of how good 2017 was relative, but I, it's just, it's not a, it's not a high upside move, right? It kind of reminds me of leaving Orlando Brown on the bench last year. It's like he was passable at tackle. Uh, sorry. Hurst was passable at tackle, but Brown really has that upside that I think we all wanted to see. Right.
7: Right. Absolutely. I, I'm, I feel the same way. You got definitely got to have, Growth from this point forward. Whereas the only surprise you're likely to get from from James Hurst at this point is a negative one. He, he could yeah. get hurt. He could all of a sudden lose some significant amount of ability. Uh, you know, the, the, we we think that his very poor play at the end of last year at guard was a result of injury. And, and and from Hurst's point of view, I certainly hope that was the case. Because if it wasn't, then you know there there's been a significant ability decline, and we can't really expect 2017 to happen again. So.
6: Anyway, yeah, well, let's... you 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 had Hurst just to double check. You had Hurst as the worst graded game you ever had from an offensive lineman, right? That's that's correct, and that's
7: in over <laughs> 1,000 individual games graded over 12 seasons.
6: Yeah, that's outrageous. Sorry, I just wanted to double check that because I I thought yeah. that was in my head.
7: <laughs> yeah, that's that's correct. It was bad. It was 30 snap effort. So you know there've been longer games probably that are in the same category, but nothing nothing quite as bad in terms of score. Okay, let's keep going here. Bradley Bozeman, we do want to make sure we hit on that. He's kind of been the forgotten man in this whole competition because his I don't believe his roster spot, other than the possibility of trade that you've mentioned, is really in any jeopardy. I mean, he's, he's clearly the backup center and guard and the first backup at center, I think, that they would like to have as of right now. In this game, 37 plays, 34 blocks, three missed. No other negative events of any sort in this game. So it didn't allow any kind of pressure. Uh, didn't allow any penetration that caused a loss on a play. Didn't get penalized 92, Uh That's an A at, at guard. And, uh, you know, frankly, is just a big step forward for him. It would be not quite an A at center where he spent some of his time, but still a very fine game from Bozeman. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, a purely a positive.
6: Bozeman to me has not gotten a lot of love I brought him up last week when when kind of the left guard conversation was happening and it's everyone's talking about you know is it Macari versus Powers with thinking Illuminar was out of the picture after after week one but you know you're forgetting about a guy like Bozeman who played really well at guard last year and Mm -hmm. who keeps performing like he's he's not a flashy player he's kind of that blue collar you know constructor worker type guy who just gets the job done right so my biggest my biggest thing with him is i think he keeps dropping his his head and he's kind of aiming with the crown of his helmet and it's Mm -hmm. giving him too much more too much forward momentum in some of his blocks and i noticed twice i had it marked down twice in his notes he got shed because of that where he had too much forward momentum and the guy Mm -hmm. kind of did the did the the toro you know bull with the red flag on him but he recovered really well so it's like he's getting used to people people doing that to him. Uh, so I, I think what he needs to do is just kind of sit back a little more once he starts moving forward on run sets and uh, you know, make sure he's moving forward with his hands up rather like his hands up into his, uh, into mm-hmm. the chest plate of the defender rather than lean him forward with his head. And that's, that's just going to come with some more time and some more experience. But he, I mean, he's an Alabama center. He's played in huge moments. He's, he's just such a solid player, but he's not flashy. And he's one of those guys what like what we were talking about with James Hurst, I don't see a super high ceiling in terms of development, but that doesn't mean at all that he can't become a super solid starting caliber guard or center in the NFL.
7: Yeah, I'm 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 there. I mean, I think he he could certainly has at least a ceiling that'd be a slightly above average guard in the NFL. Um, and, and, you know, again, we're talking a ceiling there, but uh he, he did the one play that I really liked from this game was on the second of Ricard's one yard conversion so it was a two yard run up the middle and he was submarined by the opposing nose i couldn't even catch the, the the number on the nose tackle but as often happens in goal line plays the defenders just try and get extra low to create a pile and allow the linebackers then to make the tackle while the running back's not able to easily negotiate that pile and he got he got submarine as you would expect by the nose tackle on the play stepped over him into level two, which you rarely see in this kind of thing and made a block there and allowed Ricard actually to push through on the guy had been submarined uh, as well. So very, very good effort there. And I liked, uh, uh, I liked that particular headiness to, to know when he was being submarined, and, and I, I couldn't really see his feet on the play to see what he'd done, but it was effective.
6: I had him as a plus two on that block. I'm looking at my notes right now. I had him as mm-hmm. a plus two and, uh, Yeah, it's just, it's savvy, right? Like he, he, it's almost as if he expected it and he just kind of took the step over to tell Ricard, jump on my back and let's get through here. It it was, it was super interesting.
7: All right. Well, let's, let's move on. We're, we're kind of running short on time here, but I want to make sure we talk about Powers. Uh, Powers, a very consistent game with the exception of the one holding penalty. And I'll tell you what I saw in that play, because I had him 37 for 37 on his other blocks. Okay, now I'm, I'm fairly generous about when in doubt, credit a block here, but the offensive holding play, he was beaten by a spin move on the play. So the, the defender uh, spun off him to the inside, and Powers was beaten, realized it, turned to chase him, and kind of had his hands on him from behind, which I think already got the official from that direction, have his hands on the yellow rag. All right. So he was he was his trigger uh, fingers were itchy. And then I don't really think he held on the play. I think if anything, maybe he had an illegal block above the back, a block from behind that could have been called on the play. But it didn't even really look like he was applying pressure there. McSorley just escaped the mess. And it looked to me like a, a pretty ticky tack call, frankly, on powers. And if if that's the worst that happens you know, I, I, he certainly otherwise played very well. A lot of that good stick to the body play that I like to see made six out of six pulls. had two pancakes in the game. There's just a lot to like about his game. Otherwise, I can forgive the one penalty in its, all its sticky tackiness.
6: In terms of the guys competing for the left guard spot, I think he's the most powerful drive blocker out of all of them, and I think that keeps standing out uh, as the games go on. Once he gets a guy, he's, you know, he wants to put him through the end zone, and it, it's great to see. Uh, on the, I thought that was a BS hold. I I, I, I think you're bang on. I think it was a depth perception. He probably thought the ref probably from his angle thought he was holding the jersey, but um, but, uh, yeah, I, it, this is the tough part about grading, right? Like, I mean, a flag's a flag, but you almost mm-hmm. want to take it away when you're grading. Um, overall, with Powers, though, it's some of the same criticism I had when I joined you for the, for the Ben Powers pod. He, he just has to, you know, work on his leverage, work on his flexibility. But other than that, super solid guy. Uh, Really might be more of a right guard, which I speculated a few months ago, just based on his ability to get that push right up front so that when we're going power rights and he's kind of that that initial guy clearing out the lane for the puller. Uh, But, you know, not to get too much into that's a chat for a further day, but uh, super solid player. I I think he has the highest ceiling out of all of these guys, including Illuminar.
7: Yeah, I would agree. I, I would agree with that. Exactly. Illuminar, we've seen already, this is his third year, so you can't really ascribe the same kind of ceiling as a draft pick. But Powers is also the highest draft pick of this group, so I would expect that, uh, particularly as a rookie. And and I agree with you on, on just to briefly talk about Powers here, that his ability to pivot through that hole should be greatest with that leaning style uh, that's more similar to what Yonda has. You know, that ability to pivot through and and hold that seal inside on that defensive tackle.
6: I I hate comparing him to Yonda. Uh, I I know you're not doing that. And I often think this guy looks like a young Yonda and that's high praise given how good Marshall Yonda has been, but uh, I see it. Like I see the same type of skill. I see the same type of mentality. Like he Yonda was the same way when he got his hands on you, he wanted to put you through the end zone. And I really see something similar with powers. And that leads to a lot of that speculation. Maybe he's the future right guard and he's not necessarily the left guard answer, but Nonetheless, I mean, if that's true, he's going to be working under and learning from him, and that nothing but good news for Ravens fans. I'm
7: sure that should help. All right, well, we could talk uh, offensive line all night, I'm sure, because this is a topic <laughs> we both really enjoy. But let's move on to some of the other individual performances on offense, because a lot of people do have more interest in the skill position players. I can't understand why. Uh, <laughs> Miles My, Boykin is first on my list. And we had a big discussion about him from game one, where you know he certainly had lots of pluses and minuses in, in, in that game. In this game, targeted three times, but two of the three were not really good results. One of them on the right sideline, Billick called him out for correctly for not curling back on the sideline. When you're the closest guy to that sideline, you have to come back to the quarterback. That's the rule. And he didn't do it. And that left uh you know a chance for an interception fortunately the ball was thrown out of bounds but it was he put the he put uh jackson at risk of throwing an interception on that
6: play yeah i think with boykin what my biggest concern is is the mental aspect is going to start building up on him and originally after the game one what i really you know gave him credit for was his ability to bounce back and kind of you know put the negative in the past that next play mentality and go out and ball out for three or four plays in a row, which ended in the called back touchdown. But this game, it looked like it just kept building on him and building on him. And some of his mistakes are more mental than physical to me. And uh, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough go for him. He's uh, he's in the crosshairs of a lot of Ravens fans right now. And uh, I just hope he can really, you know, silence everyone next week and just have another solid game.
7: Well, he's, I, you know, right now he looks like the Ravens' number one receiver. I, I That's just what it looks like to me. Like, they, they really are desperate for him to claim that. Now, Hollywood Brown will come back, but his role is also kind of different. So I'm really talking about the outside, deep threat, you know, give you those options you know, that you normally associate with the larger receivers in this league. Boykin has got to be the guy for that, really. There really isn't anyone else on the Ravens. Who you could trust to do it. Could Michael Floyd be it for for one season? Maybe, you know, could 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 Seth Roberts play a role on the outside and be and be good for a season? Maybe could Chris Moore do it for a season? Maybe. But if you want any kind of a multi year answer, Miles Boykin is the guy.
6: And he's your prototypical X receiver. He's uh, All those guys mentioned, I've seen Seth Roberts' Oakland tape, and he did his best work from the slot. Slot. Chris Moore is a a Z guy, I think. And actually, Chris Moore does some of his best plays from the slot too. So uh, using some of those three wide receivers on one side sets, you could use Roberts and Moore in the slot, but that means you still need to have that X receiver out there. And other than Floyd, I mean, Jaleel Scott's probably an X, but... Mm-hmm. he's not getting those you're, you're bang on with the uh they they're getting those evaluation reps in for him they're they want the ball to go to him and that was very apparent last week and he took advantage after the rough start but this week it was like okay you're struggling go sit down kind of thing uh one thing I do want to throw out the McSorley interception I don't a lot of people are blaming Boykin for that I really can't see why um based on doing a curl route, you're expecting the ball rate right and your you know right in your teeth when you when you turn and it was not even on his inside shoulder it was on the DB's inside shoulder and should have been to Boykins outside shoulder mm-hmm. I, it's hard to ask him to you know become a DB when he's expecting the the the, the ball rate right in his grill on that one yeah I
7: would I wouldn't blame that on Boykin but I would say they weren't on the same page somehow and and I, you're right I think it's more mcSorley's fault than Boykins on that particular one and Boykin actually bailed out McSorley on another interception on the slant route. He hit a very long reach to barely tip the ball, but number 29 was waiting on that play for an absolute room service interception. It was frankly upset that he didn't get it, uh, on the, on the slant that Boykin barely tipped.
6: Yeah, well, that, that one, me and Adam, uh, I had a good good debate about whether or not that was a drop. So that's that's one of the fun parts about preseason is you know picking those plays and arguing about whose fault it is.
7: <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Justice Hill, another big game. Very exciting player. I mean, Baldinger's gushing over. Justice Hill has been very entertaining in terms of I think, his little handheld phone videos he, he passes out on Twitter. They're fantastic. And, uh, and, you know, it's he's absolutely right that the cutback ability of Hill has just been a, a, a thing of beauty. And he gives the team an option to run away from the scheme of the play. And Lamar does that, too. But. The Ravens need to be very concerned about getting the ball out of Lamar's hand and into the hands of other playmakers who can do similar things. Now, Justice Hill can't do exactly the same things because he doesn't start with the football, but he can do some of the same things in terms of turning their play away from the design scheme.
6: It's just those those unteachable instincts you can see in Hill, like the the run he had that went for six or seven yards where I, I believe it was Baldy's video actually, where he he did that cut back. And it's just like, you look at it and you wonder what's going through his mind when he makes that cut, but it's just natural instincts. Like he, he finds those, those seams and he attacks the hell out of it. And it's the same thing that you see from Lamar when he, when he took off for the end zone, like, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, but that's because you don't think the way they think he's, he's an electrifying player. I think we're going to be gushing about him, in uh, for years to come.
7: Right, I, I do too. I really hope that they can they can do more to incorporate what he does in the passing game, because I think that he can help more with that. And one of the plays we saw late in the game was a little lateral to who was it? Sam Horn. Who took it four yards behind the school line of scrimmage and then took it ten yards from there for a six-yard gain, or maybe it was the other way. I think it was it was a four-yard gain that would took six yards behind the line of scrimmage. And what I was thinking in that play, that's not a terrible play or anything, but how much better would that have been if it were Hollywood Brown or Justice Hill on the other end of that? Yeah, it was done off motion, so it's, it'd be no reason why Hill can't also do that.
6: Yeah, well, one of the things I think Greg Roman is going to have you know to get used to is is doing exactly what you said and getting the ball into those guys' hands to do some of those plays. You know, whether it's bubble screens or the triple options or whatever he comes up with, that's that's the challenge right now. It's how do we get it out of Lamar's hands into some of these smaller guys who aren't your, you know, typical receiver sizes. They're more of those college playmakers that you see the, the smaller guys who can burn guys or come off a bubble and take it for 50 yards. But they're going to have to do some interesting things with the scheme to, to make it work for them.
7: Yeah, a team with three tight ends like the Ravens have that are all capable of moving fine and setting incredible picks. I kind of wonder why the Ravens haven't gone to some of those Steeler pick and rub routes on a more regular basis that would feature a fast player within that group, as well as, you know, one tight end and maybe one other wide receiver who can, who can create all sorts of problems.
6: Well, it's funny you mentioned the pick plays because the the touchdown from Snead last week. I can't remember the last times, maybe the Super Bowl drive, where we had a pick play actually work, and it we it was actually off of like a ghost look, uh, you know, with a with a nine on the outside and an outcoming, but Roberts cut in, and it's uh it, it's just it's exciting to see. It's a I, I find with the scheme I've seen so far. Um, yeah, we're playing against number two, number three defenses, but the, the scheme looks a lot cleaner. It looks like, you know, the roots are working together to open things up, and I, it's a huge credit for Greg Roman.
7: Yeah, it's very exciting to see him uh, see him call a game there. I'll come up with another pick route for you, pick rub, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Was Watson picking off the safety for Macklin's touchdown in the first game of 2017 against Cincinnati?
6: Okay, I'll have to go back and check that
7: <laughs> the, the twenty to nothing win, but it was a thing of beauty it's It's worth taking another look let's let's move on. Hayden Hurst had a huge week of practice uh, lots of writers gushing over him. unfortunately, he really did not translate it into a game of of, of any sort. Three targets one reception for minus one uh, made a good effort to try and make a play on that minus one play that didn't work out. Unfortunately, the play that really stood out to me was the long ball down the left sideline on that first or second drive, I don't recall which one it was, that was on the border of being catchable, certainly was was thrown to the right place, but it appeared to me that Hurst, while tracking the football, slowed his rate of progress down the field. And I wasn't able to see it, confirm it from the video replay, not the TV replay, but I was able to kind of confirm what I expected to see in terms of the relative speed of the cornerback who was just racing by Hurst at that point. And that shouldn't happen... With the two players headed in that direction, unless Hurst somehow slows down.
6: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we talked about this before the show started, but I think Lamar placed that ball exactly where it needed to be. Now, some people thought it was thrown too far out of bounds, but I'm sorry, but you throw that anywhere closer in bounds, and it's it's right in the right in the cornerback's kitchen. Like you, you gotta sometimes put the ball out there for your guys to make big plays. And I think what I've noticed a lot about this preseason is a lot of Ravens fans <laughs> aren't used to seeing their pass catchers make those types of plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we haven't had it since 2012 when we had Jacoby and Bolden and Torrey making huge plays. But it's 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 a play you got to expect an NFL playmaker to make. Um, I think you're bang on. I think I think he lost track. I think uh, I think he also thought it was going out of bounds, and he kind of. You know gave up on it so it's one of those things we've seen the chemistry build between Lamar and Mark Andrews and maybe it's just going to take some time for Hayden Hurst but I said it in my article wrapping up uh, last night's game I'm starting to enter that concerned phase with Hayden Hurst right now
7: yeah I, I, it's it's completely justified based on his age because there's only so much development you really expect for a player uh, in, in terms of reaching a peak at a certain age in baseball you know, the average age of of all Triple Crown winners is twenty seven and change. And it's a you have very, very uh, strict growth patterns that almost all careers uh, follow. And the steroid era is thrown kind of a kind of a monkey wrench in some of that. But they, they follow very, very strict patterns. And in football, it's even more so careers are shorter. You know, the peak age is younger. And it, when you see a guy, at, you know, a tight end, it's probably a position where he can last a little bit longer but it, it, you, we really should be worried at this point about what's Hayden Hurst going to do. He's going to be 26 for the opener, and uh, he's not a young man anymore.
6: A lot of his a lot of his his pre-draft write-ups were like, you know, he's kind of maxed out physically, and his development is about how much better of a f- football player can he become in a couple of years when he's entering that prime, and that prime is about next year. So. I guess it's just let's hope that some chemistry builds and he can be useful. I do trust that Roman's going to put him in a position to succeed and give him the reps. But you know, it's 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 at this point where he, he has to step up this year and he has to step up early.
7: Yeah, that's that's a real good point. That Roman is 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 really his best ally at this point in terms of getting him getting him the right opportunities. Let's move on. Trace McSorley. Uh, I thought he you know that he showed us a lot of things in that first game that were really better. He was under tremendous pressure in the first game. The second game not so much pressure, and he did not uh do all that well with it. He had eight out of thirteen ample time and space opportunities. Through, as I counted, three interceptable balls, including one that was intercepted. One we mentioned earlier that was a uh, Boykin deflection from being an interception. You got you got kind of fortunate on that one, and another room service pick six immediately before the Ravens field goal. That it really was a ten point turnaround in this game. So if you're betting the game, you'd have been very upset with with him giving up <laughs> a pick six on that play. You would you might have lost the the Ravens with the spread.
6: He just looks like a typical rhythm, rhythm passer. And uh, it's going to be tough for him to really get out of that. Like he, his, his touchdown drive, he, he, he rallied off, you know, some pretty good throws. And then it ends with, I thought the pass to Chris Moore for the touchdown was perfectly placed. Mm -hmm. He read that safety coming up into the box perfectly, put it right out where he could run onto it and off he goes. And uh, he had a couple of completions, I believe before that. Um, But, it was kind of the same as last week. He he did he was under a lot of pressure. I think you had a markdown of seven out of twenty-two was all That's he right. had clean or something. And uh, sorry, I just wasn't sure if I was flipping them. Uh I, I just think that he's way too he, he's not used to the speed of the game yet. It's gonna take him some time. the question is, is he gonna have time to do that on the Ravens roster somehow? Is he gonna be a third QB? Are they gonna try and stash him on the practice squad? I really do hope they keep him because there's potential there. I definitely see potential, but, you know, there's too many mental aspects of his game that aren't there yet. But, I mean, we saw that with Lamar last year, right? Like, he's he's thinking too much He's and he's throwing ducks. So that's kind of the issue right now. Um, it looks a little bit too, <laughs> I hate to do the comparison, but it looked Nathan Peterman-y to me where he could kind of, raffle off some three or four good throws in a row and then just throw a random interception that makes no sense to anyone. And you're wondering where that came from. So that's kind of the vibe I got last night was, you know, he would put out some beautiful passes and then, okay, what was that? So it's going to be a tough, tough uphill battle for him.
7: Yeah. The thing that strikes me as is maybe he's thinking too much in some sense if he's, has a better game under pressure, and hey, we got a very small sample size. I'll start with that. But he has a better game under pressure than a game where he had just tremendous time to throw this last one with with eight out of thirteen. Because I mean, he had a nine second pocket, and I blame some of this on the receivers. But when he when he floated the left sideline, had all kinds of time. McCarry kept blocking, was very effectively, you know, it's nine seconds to find somebody on that play. The Ravens got to yeah. be able to manufacture a play there, and I hope with Brown on the field. That, or Hill on the field as well, that they're going to be able to do more of
6: that. One thing I'll give him credit for is I've, I found he's navigated the pocket really well, and in, that includes some of the plays last week where he didn't have a lot of time. I thought he stepped up appropriately, and I thought he got outside of the pocket appropriately. So, I mean, if we're looking for places to give him some credit, I think that's one of them. It's his pocket navigation.
7: Yeah, I agree completely. You know, Obviously, the other thing to credit him for was the, that beautiful 17-yard boot. I've I've really never seen a, a fake run any better than that. The handoff to Turner was perfect. Turner did, you know, closed in on the football and was a third and short, a fourth and short play, right? It was fourth and 1 and he ran for 17, wasn't it? And then it, they the the beautiful thing to watch, we had the the pull from Powers helped sell that fake. But the other thing that is beautiful to watch is the edge defender on that side. It's number 52 for Green Bay and I'm the number is the name is escaping me right now. It's a recent fairly high draft pick. Anyway, he, he had the proper position on a luminor to contain McSorley, but he gave it up and he chased the ghost, going the other direction. It was it was just unbelievably good fake. Uh,
6: I I like the high step at the end. <laughs> yeah. Added a little little Justice Hill razzle dazzle to it. I liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
7: Uh, Maureen was Maureen was unhappy because he didn't cut back to the inside. She thought, "Oh, he could have had five more yards." And <laughs> I, I think it was probably a pretty good run out of bounds situation.
6: I'll take 17 on uh, on on fourth and short. <laughs>
7: yeah. All right, last player I want to talk about is Jaleel Scott. And we can talk about anybody you like as well, Cole. But uh, a big step forward for him in my mind. Uh, two catches uh, again, showing the ability to get up and get the football that he didn't show last year. He wasn't earning targets last year. He wasn't playing certainly early enough. In this game, he was in the game a little bit earlier than he had been the previous week. We keep this handy dandy chart for this, but he came in the game at the, on the last drive of the first half in this game. So that's a uh, that's earlier than he certainly was coming in at any point during the last during last year's preseason. And he's getting better opportunities, and I, I, I like that. I think he is right on the cusp of making the roster. A Couple special teams tackles, one on a punt, one on a kickoff yesterday, really helped as well. Helped his cause.
6: Yeah, I was doing a little research into some of the the roster trends with the wide receivers over the last few years for the Ravens, and one thing that stood out to me is that even before they kind of became a run preferred team before Lamar, they were still keeping five wide receivers and six if that six guy provided special teams value. So going back into the days of Michael Campanaro returning punts or going into Janarian Grant and Tim White uh, returning, because after... Grant and White were gone. They only had five on the roster all year. And lastly was the fifth guy that was never active once last Mm -hmm. year. So I I think that's something you have to consider. Um, I know a lot of people hate to talk about special teams, especially about wide receivers, but his ability to make those, those special teams plays means that they can put him on the field, keep him active on game day, and then use him as you know a red zone target or something to work him into the offense and that's something that his biggest threat for a roster spot right now is Antoine Wesley who had a great game last night too but Wesley's not making those special teams play so if you're looking at a six wide receiver who may not get a ton of actual playing time at wide receiver because typically you're, you're you have one wide receiver inactive on game day you have to look at some of the special team abilities so I think he's standing out there you're right he had two two, two uh two tackles, uh, one on a punt, one on a kick, but he also had three standout special teams plays last week. So that that's going to be the difference maker. But in terms of his wide receiver abilities, you're bang on. He's playing bigger. He's playing up to his size. And the only issue is, so is Antoine Wesley. So how are they going to keep both? And I can't see them keeping seven.
7: Right. And they, they actually have very similar prospective option value from this point because Jaleel Scott's a second-year player, but he has that cheap fourth year because he was a draft pick. And and uh, they'll, the Ravens will have to pay more if uh, if Wesley pans out three years from now for him as a player. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a big difference, but there shouldn't be as much difference between a first-year undrafted and a second-year drafted player as, as many people think there might be.
6: Yeah, well, and I think the thing that stands out to me so far is Wesley kind of looks like Scott did last year in terms of his upper body looks a little bit lighter. He's pretty thin, tall, wiry, thin guy. Scott was the same way, and you can tell he's really bulked up. So I'm wondering, you know, is there a way to somehow IR stash Wesley and give him that kind of year to grow uh, I, I guess they don't practice on injured, injured reserve, but you know what I mean? Like give them a year of keeping them under team control to give him another shot next year. Cause I, I can't see him lasting on the practice squad. His, his college film was, was solid and I'm shocked. He didn't get drafted. I was so pumped when we got him, but with Scott really emerging and showing that special teams value, I just, I worry about keeping Wesley around.
7: One of the reasons the Ravens got Wesley this year was because their wide receiver situation was so dire. But it was an easy sale to Wesley and his agent probably to say, you know, hey, don't you want to come play here where you might really have a chance to make the roster, might even have a chance to play some on game day as a rookie. And I I think that if the Ravens situation remains as dire, there will be a different Antoine Wesley next year. So, yeah, they'll lose Wesley. They they won't be able to keep on the practice squad the whole year. They might, quote unquote, get lucky and have use for Wesley if they have an injury of their own be able to bring him up from the practice squad but the first team that maybe it's not the first team but maybe it's the fifth team that needs a wide receiver is going to bring wesley up and if the ravens happen to be in the first five they'll get him
6: right yeah no that's a good point uh another thing about the wesley picking the ravens it reminded me i i, I made this comparison on twitter uh when james hurst actually chose the ravens uh from north carolina he uh, he he got hurt and missed that last year and uh i believe that was the year we lost eugene monroe if i remember correctly and drafted stanley but i bet her saw that same type of same type of uh actually that's not that year either way it's a good point to make and it, it makes me wonder why we haven't been able to land more stud udfa wide receivers as of late because we we haven't had that wide receiver talent in the room that's for sure
7: yeah, I just—there I, I, aren't—there don't seem to be as many stud UDFA wide receivers. I mean, it's probably true that the Ravens also are more attuned to finding those linebackers, which is, by the way, part of the part of the reason is the linebacker group in particular is a very deep size and shape pool, so there's many more people who are the appropriate size to play inside linebacker in the NFL, and that's why you can find some good ones with superior scouting and talent evaluation. with With wide receivers— there's more of a specific body type, a specific amount of speed you have to have. So the, the pool is smaller of people who, can, who are tall and can run fast. Let's, let's start with that. And you, you just don't have as many to work through. And the, the people who exist out there are all fairly thoroughly scouted. So I think you're less likely to get UDFA guys. And I would really have to think back to the last truly great UDFA receiver in this league. And I'm sure you can think of three, but I I, I can't think of the the last one. Now Zada was a seven, but trying, i have tried I think the Marcus Colston might have been a seven also. I'm Adam Thielen. Okay, that's a good he, one.
6: Yeah, uh, that's a that's a. But that to me, everyone was talking about that last year when he had his huge breakout. But I mean, that's a pure exception to the rule. I think you're right. I you don't see it as much as you do at other positions. Uh, but he was one that comes off the top of my head and. I can't even think of two more. That's a, that's all I got. All right.
7: All right, well, let's move on, and we'll do the uh, we'll do the offensive MVPs, and I usually do this with, with our guest here, and we'll just pick them 3-2-1 like hockey stars. You want to
6: start off with your number three for the game? I'm going to give my number three to Justice Hill. Uh, he really stood out. I think he'd probably be higher on my list if he got more, more work, but he only had the 10 carries for 49 yards and a touchdown. But with some of those flashy plays, he gets my number three.
7: Yeah, he's my number three as well. Uh, really the same reasons. And I think it was flashes we saw more than actual production in this game. Although oh, it did break off the one run for 14 or so. Uh, that, it was a really nice one. But uh, very excited about what Justin Silva bring brings to the Ravens. Number two.
6: Uh, we'll go with – I'm actually going to give it to Patrick Ricard. Now, listen, hear me out on this one. He only had a few plays. But what I really like about his ability to get in the game and take advantage of his snaps and the fact that they came on first team drives made him really stand out to me. He also had a few pretty nice plays on uh, he was in on tight end uh, with Uzela as the fullback Mm -hmm. on the hill drive. So, I mean, I know people might, you know, kind of roll their eyes at me because he didn't get a whole lot of work, but. Folks, this is seizing your opportunity in the preseason, and this is how guys make rosters.
7: Uh, He made excellent block after excellent block out of the I-formation in this game. And then the two carries he got were the first—well, okay, I don't know that he hasn't had a preseason carry before, but he's never had a regular season carry. He's had, I think, four receptions, but he's he's had—those were his first two carries he's ever had for the Ravens, as far as I know. And they were both conversions— that is an incredible additional high leverage talent to bring. And when you look at the Ravens last year, I'm going to mention a stat that was given to me by at Yoshi 2052 at Yoshi 2052, by the way, give him a follow. Cause Josh is really good at figuring out all sorts of things from available data on pro football and baseball reference. But last year with Lamar on the field, the Ravens were only 12 of 17 on third and one with Lamar not on the field. They were 23 of 26. So they actually had a significantly lower percentage with Lamar, of just, you know, about 70 uh, percent, 70.6. I think it would work out to be. So that's that's really not very good for the NFL. You'd you'd want better than that. Patrick Ricard, if he can do what he did in this game with good regularity, I'm going to say 85 percent maybe of the time. I think that would add an enormous high leverage component to the Ravens offense.
6: It's just another hammer to have out there. <laughs> Cause that's what he is. He's a hammer.
7: All right. All right. So it's uh, my number two is Chris Moore. Uh, I love the, he's, he's kind of been forgotten of that, but he's the ultimate garbage man in terms of a bad ball catcher, throw it anywhere in the area, big catch radius. He'll go get it. And uh, what he's done the last two years in terms of improving his catch percentage is just, one of the best improvements I've ever seen year over year or period over period from a Ravens receiver.
6: Well, he's hundred percent in the preseason, right? Six think, for six.
7: I think that, I think that's right. And last year he was up right, right around 80% for the year or 76,
6: 75. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chib, Chibs, is, uh, Chibs is a big Chris Moore guy. So I, I have to hear about it all the time <laughs> over on NZI. <N-NCI. laughs>
7: all right. What's your, who's your number one in this game?
6: I just pulled up your article and I, 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 I stole your number three and I'm about to steal your number one. It's, it's uh, Jermaine Illuminor. Jermaine I mean, what a bounce back. Uh, he's He's got a tremendous uh tremendous shot to run with this through the next two games and we'll see if he can steal that left guard position.
7: Yeah, there was a really good point made by Coach Evans on the show last week who said that if you're better off trying Jermaine Illuminor at left guard first and letting him fail there, which, by the way, didn't happen, obviously. But because then you still have a chance to use him at left tackle where he played last year. But if you really need to teach him to play guard again, and I'm extrapolating now what he said, then you want to have him for potentially more time at left guard. And now with Illuminor playing well, you know, the Ravens now have the good problem to have of having a guy who can play multiple positions. which That's he not
6: yeah. That's it, and it may make a guy like James Hurst, like you said earlier, irrelevant because that's James Hurst's value right now is his ability mm-hmm. to to play across the line, and if we have that in in Illuminor, well, you know, maybe we can keep Makari and keep that upside, right?
7: Yeah, there you go. That would that would be a definitely be an option, also be an option to still keep Sonat, I think, and I, despite the fact that he missed this game, I haven't ruled him out, but well, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, Josh, how about you take us through some mailbag questions?
5: Sure, sure, let's get into it. Um let's jump in with uh Matthew Troy who was wondering, is it harder to evaluate the bubble receivers when we have such a run game, especially when we're not forcing the many third and longs during the preseason? Yeah,
7: it's a great point. Um they're they're not doing that much with the receivers. They're not throwing that many passes even in these preseason games where they have uh, you know, 64 plays, I think it was this week, and they had more than that in 69 in the first game. So it's not a lot of receiving opportunities. They're looking to get games over. They're looking to establish, you know, what they're doing. But they also have big choices to make at running back. So that's part of it. Uh, Cole, what do you have to add to that?
6: I think that's part of it. I I think another thing we need to remember is some of the numbers may get skewed towards rushes because the Ravens are apparently the dynasty of the NFL for preseason games, and they just seem to always be winning. So sometimes when you get down to the garbage time, they're just running out the clock. But I I will echo that concern. Uh, A guy like Jalil Scott, I thought after week one, I would have really liked to see him kind of jump in into the you know, start of the second quarter snaps, and we didn't see that. Like you mentioned, he, he kind of came in towards the, the end Ended of the first off. half, and uh, I, I'd really like to see him against better competition. So I do, I do find that frustrating a bit because you want to evaluate these guys against who they'll actually be playing against and not the quote-unquote UPS drivers.
5: How much does it help that they get to face him in practice when we don't see, when they've got to go up against our pretty good defense? Yeah, I think that would help.
7: I mean, they're not in pads is the big problem. So they're not getting gotcha. the same kind of press coverage technique that they'll get in a in a real game. The one thing that, that I, I think Shane Ray in particular is a victim to that as being a guy who, you know, in, in gameplay, they're going to be trying to break that wrist of his, you know, see if it see if it's still working after a couple nice hits or or arm ups from that offensive lineman. Uh I just I don't it's you want know, it's not the same, but, you know, obviously they, they can use their technique. They can work on certain things in practice, like boxing out with the body, uh, at least.
6: I, I actually tweeted about this last week. I said it's the, one of the most frustrating things as a Ravens fan is every time we see kind of recaps of, uh, of of practices, it's, you know, was the defense just really good or was the offense really bad? Or it's really making that determination because that, that DB group is very solid. And it is good to see some of these guys making plays against them and some of the bubble guys like, like Scott and like Wesley who, you know, their names stand out as making a big tip, touch in the back of the end zone type thing.
5: All right. Um, you mentioned the the battle at running back. Does Hill and Richards back-to-back great performances put Dixon now on the outside of the 53? This is coming from Bart Harley.
7: Right. We we, we covered that a little bit. I, I yes. For me, it does. I think Dixon's in a lot of trouble right now. And and I it's not that I don't like Dixon, the running back. I love Dixon, the running back. In fact, I'd probably take Dixon, the running back, over Edwards, the running back, for this one year. But I, I wouldn't take him with all the GM considerations. We get one year— out of dixon or we can have three more years out of edwards at a derp cheap number and i just i couldn't make that exchange
6: as much as i like having dixon as kind of a fourth guy just to keep running backs fresh and also have options in case an injury does arise it is going to be tough for him to make the roster given he doesn't have a lot of special team value uh but i think uh, just to kind of counter my point uh it's kind of what what you said like the GM concerns absolutely play in here, and not to mention he he came off limping, and after having suspension and injury concerns in the past, you don't want to see that in the preseason, and that may really weigh in the minds of the GM.
5: All right. Um, so, do you think we'd keep three or four running backs?
7: I'm with three plus
6: Ricard. I'm speculating four plus Ricard, but I definitely see Ken's point.
5: All right. So you're taking both sides of that question from Carolyn Johnson, who is also <laughs> wondering about more as a lock of the 53 as one of the uh, five wide receivers.
7: Yeah, he's he's a lock now. I, I didn't think that necessarily being a camp and GM considerations come in for him, too, as a fourth year player. In fact, you could just blanket that over all fourth year NFL players. They're fighting for their job when they come to camp, unless they're superstars, unless they've already been extended, unless they're first round draft picks who have a fifth round option. You come as a fourth round, uh, you know, as a as a year four player, you're fighting for your job against players who you have to be better than that are younger than you.
6: People are going to think I'm a special teams coach, but uh, I thought he was a lock going into camp just simply because of his special teams value and his ability to play the wide receiver position. But his performance has put him into an absolute solidified lock, in my opinion.
5: All right, uh, Jim Keen gets in here. Do you think the experts are right, referring to Powers as slow and stiff, and a long time until he's NFL ready?
7: Why don't you start with that one, Cole? Because I know what you feel about how a, how an older woman could help him out. <laughs> uh,
6: so, for for our friends listening, I'd go back and listen to uh, to our Ben Powers podcast because I addressed this. So my my, my suggestion to Ben Powers uh, before the season started was that he should find a nice. You know, 40, 50-year-old Baltimore woman who's going to uh, go into yoga class every morning so that he can uh, he can join in and work on that flexibility. Um, but no, I, I got to say I, I I didn't see a lot of those concerns on the college tape. Um, I mean, I'm far from an expert, but I just didn't see them pl- as playing a left guard in Lincoln Riley's scheme at Oklahoma. You have to be athletic to do some of the things he was asked to do, and he did those. Uh, going up to uh, to some of what we've seen through two games, I'm I'm not seeing a ton of athleticism concerns, and uh, I'll I'll leave it to you, Ken. Maybe you could speak. Uh, was it an athletic concern on that spin move that he got the hold on there? No. Was it the lateral quickness? What are you thinking?
7: No, 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 no. I I think you could be the 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 dancing bear of right tackles, and you get beat by that particular spin move. I think it was. Exactly. You know, we saw we saw Ogden get beat red, 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 regularly by Freeney using that spin move. And it was just it was a it was an A move and he got beaten. It happens. But
6: That's I would have just yeah, given him so... a
7: pressure on the play and not a not a penalty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well you can
5: get your questions in and steer the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag #FilmStudyMailbag, mailbag or on filmstudyravens.com by commenting on the blog post. We're going to close out the mailbag with Minion Hunter who is sending pictures and concerns because there's this photo going around the Internet of Lamar Jackson having three open wide receivers before he takes off running. And Minion Hunters, of course, wants to know if that's true and is, is he not seeing his going through his progressions properly before tucking.
7: Well, there is a, there's a point to be made here. Now, there a lot of quarterbacks can look at a certain degree angle on the field and use the easy eye technique. You kind of look through it like you're looking through a mirror and you can see a wider area. But eventually you have to focus down and make a choice and throw it. Uh, Lamar at that point obviously had had looked over at least two receivers there and had decided, hey, there's this wide open area of the field to run, which was the correct choice. I mean, look what happened. And, you know, Sad thing about the block, it was completely unnecessary and superfluous to, to getting Lamar in the end zone there, uh, but, uh, but I saw the, the, the immediate video from right before, it did show three guys, any of whom could have been thrown the ball for a short game.
6: I signed off on this on my article. I, I, how many times did we complain about Joe Flacco throwing short of the sticks on third down? The, both of those routes that were open, I only saw two, I didn't see three, but of the two routes that I saw, both are short of the sticks and the DBs are giving the cushion because mm-hmm. the DB knows where the first down marker is. How often do we see that? Just let him make the catch and tackle him short. They're already in field goal range. And the Justin Tucker's the kicker. He's making that 52 yarder. Um, I, I, well, I guess it would have been short, a shorter kick, but nonetheless, um, Lamar Jackson made the absolute right move. And, If you want him to throw short of the sticks and it's fourth down and we're kicking a field goal, well, I mean, that is what it is. I want the electric playmaker. Sorry.
7: On board with that.
5: Yeah, I think we talked a lot last year about how his biggest weapon is his feet and you can't tell him to just not ever use his feet when that's the right answer.
6: You're telling him not to be an instinctual player. And again, it's like what I said about Justice Hill. These guys just have that natural ability to the game slows down and they see a hole. And that's exactly what Lamar did. And I'll tell you, I will take Lamar making those types of runs versus read option runs where the, the defensive end's looking for him.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. There's very few teams that will even play a spy on Lamar. But when they do, you know, that's a player taken out of the play. So he's going to have a better opportunity on the pass. So I, I love that it happened. And you got to sometimes you got to put a fear of Lamar back into people.
5: All right. Well, let's uh let's get our plugs in. Cole, thank you for joining us today. I saw that your grades from this past preseason game are already up on Russell Street Report. Uh what else do you have anything else you're working on for Russell Street Report or anything coming up uh with the Neutral Zone Infraction Podcast if you want to share with us and our listeners about that?
6: Absolutely. Well, first off, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. It's it's such a treat to always join you guys and talk uh, Ken, I really appreciate the invite. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cole Jackson RSR. I'm tweeting pretty much daily about observations, a lot of O-line play, a lot of D-line play. Um, I'm going to be jumping into some some charting of the offensive scheme, trying to kind of get into the mind of Greg Roman to see what he's doing. And uh, so that'll be coming out on Russell Street Report. And then you can find me, Adam, and Chibs over on uh, the neutral zone infraction podcast we're releasing weekly once the season starts so be sure to check in over there
5: all right that's awesome and ken uh, you got your grades and uh breakdown up on filmstudyravens.com and i know you're working on your defense and your uh defense report as we speak probably right
7: yeah, absolutely. Well, not not this exact moment, but yes, overnight I'll I'll, I'll finish that up. We've done all the note taking for it. Uh, so we have we have an aggressive schedule coming out for the remainder of this weekend and into next week. But we have a defensive article come out sometime tomorrow morning. The podcast will be loaded, of course, by then, and uh, then a defensive podcast we're doing with Engraven Raven Engraven Vids. Sorry, the YouTube star. Tomorrow, So we'll be excited to to talk to him and and, uh, uh, get his perspective on the defense. And then uh, a little later this week, and I'm not sure the exact day, we'll have the offensive line scoring in more detail for the four guys who really got this extended trial. Luminor, Macari, Bozeman, and uh, Powers in this game. So uh, we've got got a lot coming out still this week, and that's at FilmStudyRavens.com. Follow me on Twitter at FilmStudyRavens. And love to hear from you. We want to hear all your stuff at hashtag FilmStudyMailDag. Right. And then, Ken, I
5: believe on Tuesday morning uh, you are going to – and we'll plug this on social media constantly. But I believe Tuesday morning you're going to be over on the Ravens Reddit page doing a Ask Me Anything.
7: Yeah, that's the the plan. And uh, Tuesday morning sounds like a great day to do it. We might do it also Wednesday morning. So please kinda of, kinda of just check back there if you would and see what's going on, or check on filmstudyravens.com and we'll post when it's going to occur.
5: Yes, we will. All right, guys. Well, uh enjoy the rest of your weekend.